Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. This podcast from Wessex LMCs is exceptional in many ways. It is a deeply personal story of a family carrying out their mother's rather unique end-of-life wishes. Julia's mother was found to have widespread pancreatic cancer in 2020 while under the care of haematologists for myeloma. Following her cancer treatment, discussions turned to end-of-life care and planning for her expected death. Julia's mother wanted to die at home, but had a rather unusual last request for the family. Do listen to hear more. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Louise Greenwood, Director of Education and Training at Wessex LMCs, and I'm particularly delighted to be talking to Julia Hempenstall this morning. Morning, Julia. Good morning, Louise. So we've known each other for a little while, worked each other with each other for a little while, and um, you've got quite an interesting personal story to tell us today. So I just wonder if you can give a little bit of background about you um, and, um, yeah, and, and where you started on this journey. Yes, of course, absolutely. So um, as you say, Louise, my name is Julia Hempensel. I'm a GP in a small rural uh, practice. Um, but today uh, I'm sort of coming here as, uh, well, predominantly as a daughter and as a wife and a mother and um, to come and hopefully give an experience that not many people have heard of. Um, I hope that I will give it a sort of professional experience, but, but it will be deeply personal as well. And it's really brave of you to share this with us. And thank you. We do appreciate it. So this is about your mum. It became apparent during 2020 uh, it, that she was um, in a bit more pain and was less well. And through the haematology department, um, she was worked up and found to have um, widespread pancreatic cancer and was diagnosed in June 2020, which I think anyone um, either as a professional as a uh, as a layman you understand that that's a pretty devastating diagnosis from the beginning and I think actually at the beginning at that very moment where we went in uh, sat apart from each other uh, with masks on with one consultant to be delivered that news I think my grief and my shock started there but that was only just the beginning of the story um, because as you said my mum was quite a character And it was a strange moment when she mentioned to us that she had, um, two months previously, she had been to a funeral up at the local crematorium, which was a brand new crematorium. She'd been there for a friend who died um, suddenly. And um, she came home from that hospital trip and said, I know what I'm going to do now. I've made my plan. I would like to go to that crematorium when it's the time to die. And I said, okay, that's fine. That's fine. We can, we can talk, we can talk to her. She goes, and do you know what? You don't need a funeral director. So I think you should be the funeral director, Julia. <laughs> it made for a very interesting mid-afternoon conversation. And so when she said that, I thought, well, this now in some ways becomes some sort of way that I need to carry out her wishes. And she's asking me. And at the end of the day, when your dying mother asks you something like that, you think, gosh, well, I better look into it. Uh, And so there started the journey of learning about how to become a funeral director. 
And, um, and Louise, I was absolutely terrified. I, I didn't quite understand where to start. There didn't seem to be any resource out there to help me. And um, there's a lot of time when you're looking after a dying person, when you're up in the middle of the night, you're reassuring, you're caring for them. And then in, in those moments in darkness, I would also be frantically looking on the internet to see what, you know, what the rules were. Uh, and, and, and I was searching frantically and actually couldn't find that much. I've subsequently, after having conversations with people who've done this, have found out a little bit more and I'm happy to share those resources with people. But one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about today was the fact that you can actually do it as a normal, non-trained person. You can actually care for your relative uh, and become their funeral director. So what she, she had sort of said to me was, in that very practical kind of way, balderdash, of course you can do it. There's, there's, there's no option not to. Simply put me in a box, wait, take me to the crematorium and cremate me. And, and, and put quite simply like that, it seemed okay, right? But there's clearly, clearly a bit of admin that needs to be done and there's clearly um, hoops to jump through. Um, so I started looking for help. Uh, and I actually, the first thing I thought was, crikey, I'm going to need a coffin. Um, so I actually phoned a local coffin manufacturer and spoke to a lady on the phone who quite frankly thought I was phoning from outer space and said, I'm sorry, we don't sell coffins to members of the public. We only sell them to trade. You, you can't, you have to have a funeral director. And I said to this lady, I said, well, I, I'm terribly sorry, but I have got my dying mother's wishes that I'm trying to um, put forward. And, and I have, I've, I, I have found on the internet that you don't need one and we can do it. She said, well, I think you better phone a funeral director for some advice. And I said, okay, thank you very much. Uh, and off I went and I, I spoke to a, a local funeral director who we had had, um, I explained my stepfather had died before. We'd had interaction with this company before. And I cannot, I cannot emphasize how helpful and supportive the funeral directors that I spoke to along the way were uh, in helping me navigate this from afar. But what I discovered through these conversations was actually that we could do it. And there were just a few little hurdles that we had to jump over. And I went along to this, um, our local crematorium and the staff could not have been more helpful. And actually, they helped me by showing the process of the forms that I had to get together, the legal requirements. But then one of the more magical moments was that they took me, I, I've sat in, in crematoriums before for previous um, um, celebrations of life and, life. and there's that bit where they close the curtains and it's a very terrifying, quite kind of um, anxiety provoking moment. And I realized that I was going to have to be part of that process to bringing my mother into the, um, into the crematorium room and onto the catafault and to help put the, the curtains. And so I simply said to the, the team there, is there any chance that I could have a look behind? And they said, well, why not? Yes, come, come, come and have a look. And that tour, Louise, that moment being shown around, not only was it professionally incredibly interesting because there was that moment of, oh, so this is what happens behind the curtains, that bit that uh, as normal members of society, we don't cross over to being showed how our, how our loved ones uh, who've died are cared for beyond that curtain in terms of the identification process, the moving through the process, 
This crematorium in particular is a very new one. So there's some incredibly um, important green aspects around how they take mercury out of bodies uh, and how they collect the implants and they recycle the implants and how they showed me the, um, where the actual physical cremation occurs uh, through to how then your loved one is delivered back to you or taken to the burial site or whatever your, your personal choice is. And that connection at that point, I realized a bit like I have with my children, often the thing that people are, are frightened of is, is the concept of what's going to happen. And actually, when you step into that and you actually experience it, I couldn't have been more confident that my mum was going to be looked after better than I could have imagined. And do you know, it gave me that real strength on the day as acting as the funeral director in front of all those people who'd arrived. I knew that I could do it because I'd been there before and I knew that she would be in very safe hands because that's part of this whole journey is that I have the utmost respect for funeral directors and I know they will care for loved ones. But as I go on and tell you a little about when she died, what, what you recognize afterwards is that as a family member or a close, um, a, a close friend of that person, being involved in that intimacy of death that let's face it, all of us are going to die being involved in that gives you a real sense of connection, a sense of duty, and quite frankly, a sense of pride. So to be able to do it yourself up to that point when then I handed her over to these fantastic members of staff at the crematorium, to be able to then go and collect her again later was part of the story that I hadn't even considered that would become the legacy and, the, and, and in some ways the, the comfort in, in those grieving moments. So if we may, if we go back to the very sad moment when your mum actually did die, mm. what, what did you have to do then? Because obviously you're upset. You know, there's so much going wrong in your life, but you're also trying to be the professional managing the processes too. So, so just take us through that 24 hours, which must have been incredibly full of um, all sorts of emotion and grief and busyness and all sorts of other things. There were moments of total panic. I was terrified. I thought, I'm going through the practical list. What have I got to do? How am I going to do this? My little crematorium uh, tour had showed me how the coffins were treated and what not to put in the coffin and what could go in the coffin because there's a risk. Me as the funeral director was then taking responsibility for what was put in the coffin because there's an explosive risk when things are, um, are put in the furnace. And so I had to be very clear that I knew what, what, I, what to do. But at that moment of her dying, with being next to her, with the four of us there, the only thing, the only overwhelming emotions I felt were love and hope. And I say to parents, we might worry about what our children are doing here, what we should do for that. We might make decisions that we're not sure of. But actually, at the real moment, if you have a foundation of love and stability that you can go back to, that in that moment, that's all you remember. And she died peacefully and the four of us were there. And we all looked at each other and I think we all smiled and we, we were like, I think the hard bit starts now. And uh, in a way, yes, of course we were sad, but we'd had that protracted illness to be able to prepare for it. And now in some ways we had a duty, we had a sense, we had something that we had to do that would therefore in some ways bind us closer together. And that whole act, the four of us, we got, um, we got prepared and we looked at each other and we said, yeah, 
we're going to you're honoring your mum's wishes aren't you then and that's and and, and I imagine you, you your mum knew you were going to be doing this so she was relaxed and knowing she was being held you yes. were honoring her wishes and I love what you said about that hope that love and hope and you're right we get so distracted by the stuff don't we and we forget the important things Absolutely. Absolutely. And interestingly, that moment uh, and, and, and something I really do want to share for families is that that becomes the next stability in your lives together as adults to be able to perform the, the, the very basic caring of someone. And this is the circle of life. Someone has, who has done the same for you as a child, that actually that act um, and um, in in terms of we know when people die they take their last breath everything relaxes their muscles relax they 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 fall silent uh, and yet there are things that need to be cleaned up and they are not as frightening as you want going back to that curtain thing it's not as frightening to look after um, a dead person that you care for and you're prepared and, 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 and know that this is going to happen. In some ways, Louise, is absolutely beautiful. And there are obviously faiths and religions across the world that do this routinely. But in our culture, um, traditionally in this country, I think we've sanitized ourselves from death. We've got frightened of it. We've, we've made it something it isn't. Because actually, in that moment, doing those things seems incredibly dare I say, natural. Um, And as we are all going to die, we are all going to have this shared experience of of death. And and, and I'm not in any ways advocating that this is a story for everyone. But what I want to share with people is that, that there is this way for certain circumstances and people may choose to talk to their relatives, to their patients, to their loved ones about this being an option. I think the demystifying and the pushing the, 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 you know, how positive um, the process can be for the families because it's part of the ritual also of the grief and it's part of the part of the doing I think some of the difficulties of grief is if you're passive and you don't really can do anything but this is actually something that you can do and as you say to unite your family as a whole and the four siblings was also must have been um well, what an experience that you'll never none of you will ever forget in a million years this is going to be uniting you forever isn't it uniquely profound the shared experience and will stay with us forever definitely Um, and I think the twist of fate of her dying on the Saturday meant that we had this incredible Sunday where we actually celebrated and had a sense of euphoria I think between the four of us and the extended family members that that we'd actually been able to do it and I'd been given full assurance by the funeral director who I'd bought the coffin off that it is okay. You can keep the coffin open. You can interact with her. And despite being quite frightened about it, I have to say, in reality, it was beautiful. And, and actually, uh, as, um, as, you know, as, as seeing someone after death, you know, a close relative, it was incredibly um, comforting in some ways. Um, and then obviously, as, uh, as I sort of went into funeral director mode, I thought, well, I'm going to close, we closed the coffin, uh, maybe two, I think it was about 36 hours later, uh, you can close them properly. And we put her in the coolest part of the house and she stayed with us and then started the fun and games of doing the, what I saw at some ways, I think you're right, that carrying out someone else's wishes gives you a mandate to really just 
go for it, really. And, and in some ways, uh, it, it was quite exhilarating and it gave me something to do, but I felt in control of it, which was, which was, was the, the best bit. thinking at this time, Julia? Is, is there a sort of a, is there a rule or the, the guidance to say, actually, then for the crematorium needs to, because we always think two weeks, don't we? That's what we've got we to yeah. weeks. But I don't know where that comes from. I was, whether or not it's, a, you said about the coolest part of the house, is that something, is there a physical reason for that sort of thing or is it just, just tradition? It's just what we normally do. No, so there is, there's, there's no set rule. And as you know, different faiths do different things. And some people uh, need to be buried um, very quickly and other people are able to stay around. I, I think in the reality is, is that 24, 36 hours having her uh, uh, open was enough for us to be able to say our goodbyes and say, hey, we've done it. I hope you're proud. Um, and after that, it felt comfortable to pop her anywhere. And the funeral director, as I said, this coffin, the coffin we chose a coffin potentially if someone chooses a shroud or maybe a wicker basket or something a little less uh, watertight that would be something uh, from a practical point of view that you would want to move quite quickly um, and I did have a I did have a slight fear and so I did want to to start moving things quickly and actually um, found myself oddly enjoying the administrative burden because it was a challenge and off I went and I got in touch with the GP the following morning to be able to get the death certificate. I had um, managed to get the um, cremation certificate put together. You then have to register the death and part of COVID, which is extraordinary, is that we have now, everything's gone electronic. So actually it's quite a quick chain of events. But when I gleefully phoned the um, crematorium on the Tuesday morning saying I had the three bits of paper that are therefore allow them to arrange um, a cremation. There was a real sense of surprise uh, and an admiration for them, I think, that they said not even uh, normal funeral directors managed to pull it off within 36 hours. And I think that for some reason is because it's one family member and you're, you, you're on focus to be able to do that. And we were offered a slot six days later, um, which therefore created slight, um, slight bit of administrative burden in terms of phoning family. Um, and bearing in mind that we're still very much in the tail end of COVID, um, we weren't going to ask a lot of people to come and actually one of the things that I haven't talked about was that my mum actually in all her practicalities didn't want to have a big wake because what she actually planned in the July before she died in the September was what we called her bow party where actually we had a little garden party where all her friends and family came and said goodbye and, and that was emotional for friends and family but incredibly joyful for immediate family and, and my mum so um, trying to the two-week thing probably in some ways has come down to the practicalities of telling people so they can get to the funeral but now for COVID you can watch it online and be part of it all over the world uh, and I think I had that sense that I wanted as a family I wanted us to um, to do it quickly and swiftly so because I wasn't sure how we were going to feel along the way yeah 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 obviously so the actual Getting to the, I'm just thinking about usually you would have, you know, the coffin going in the car, you're carrying the coffin. The last thing you want is some sort of terrible sort of um, farce where someone drops it. Or, but I imagine carrying the coffin is not an easy thing to do. And you want to do everything with dignity and well, don't you? 
And you're absolutely right. When you haven't handled a coffin, uh, it is tricky, but we managed it. We laughed. We cried. We enjoyed the process. The boys in the family picked her up and took her in. And actually, from that moment, and I know that funerals are really challenging. And, and again, I remind people listening to this, this is an expected death of someone that we, have, we, we are aware, we have planned, we have prepared but it was joyful because there was a real sense of achievement and there was a real sense of pride that we had carried it out. And then standing in front of people and giving the tribute to understand how we'd got to this point and holding the four of us in particular together to say, we've done it for you came with enormous satisfaction. And, um, I remember sharing, uh, sharing what what was happening, and there was there's a colleague that I work with, and she 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 phoned me up, and she said simply, by forcing you to experience this, your mother has normalised her very death and allowed you to start healing from the moment that she's gone and move on because you've got such a sense of achievement of what you've done, and interestingly that early part of grief following this 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 experience louise for me was i i'll never i'll never say it was easy because i don't think grief is and i would never want to belittle loss but they came with such pride and such hands-on um experience of, of what i know she would be very proud and would have loved it and in some ways, I want to instill that legacy in my children as well, because I'm going to die and I want them to be in some ways not fearful of it. I certainly don't want to die as young as my mum did. But I think if we can have the conversation that demystifies it and, 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 and bring that, there is humour. There is definitely humour in death, definitely at some times. And that's a coping mechanism. Perhaps it's a very British coping mechanism. I'm not sure. But by being part of it and going through it a year on, our shared grief, our shared experience as a family feels easier. And in some ways, I think she left us with a legacy that was much more powerful than she realised when she made that very practical decision, not based on money, not based on anything more than I went there. It seems nice. I spoke to a nice person who told me you don't need a funeral director. Um, so I hope in some ways what I'm done is open people's eyes to the fact that you can be a funeral director there are no rules and regulations against it there's no there, there's no way you can't do it um, and maybe as an option in some some ways there, there are different ways to do care of the uh, of the deceased and um, and in some ways you know I, the people I came across in my experience were kind, they were compassionate, they were respectful, they were professional, and they were lovely. But they wouldn't have known my mum like I did. And actually going through that experience, what I really just want to do is to raise it as an, a positive aspect for dealing one's own loss and grief after, an, after death. I mean, did you have anybody, Julia, sharing the same, well, they didn't think that was respectful. Did you have anybody sort of share anything negative? Because you could say that the proper way to do it is the people in traditional that we've seen and traditional hearse, traditional black clothes, traditional the pallbearers, that, and that's the respectful way. Did you feel any sort of backlash at all? Since 
I've actually had a lot of people ask me how, where can I get help to do this? This is something that my mum would love. This is something my grandfather would think this was a hoot, you know, kind of lots of um, lots of positive, um, lots of positive stories since as well. And I think you said at the time you couldn't find useful resources, but you have subsequently find them. So we'll we'll put those out with with the podcast, Julie, because I think it will people will be interested. And I'm sure you'll hit a nerve. People say, well, well, certainly when we have the conversation, oh, I never knew that was an option. Um, and I think it's it's respecting the person who's died, but it's also respecting the people who are left. And you are one of four capable siblings. If you're by yourself, you're in a different person, you're a different personality, or a different area, different geography, different all sorts of things. Then there's it's, there isn't a one size fits all, but there are some options on them. Exactly, exactly. And I hope people listening appreciate that this is a very personal story that are in a certain unique set of circumstances and that it isn't for everyone. And there's, there's, there's no way any of us would judge anyone for their decisions that they would make. Um, I just hope what I've put across as my mum's legacy is that this is a potential option. And um, what I hadn't appreciated was the depth of recovery that we would have as a result of going through this experience. Yeah. And, that, and that's a fantastic, well, the whole thing has been a fantastic story. And we hugely appreciate you sharing it and being so open and honest, Julia, because it has been um, absolutely fascinating. And if this has um, struck a call with anybody listening to us, are you happy that? That you and we put you in contact with them, and they you should just share a little bit more, possibly about the journey and about maybe some of the details. Without a doubt, yes, absolutely. If I can help another family um, through what is an incredibly tough time, an incredibly sad time, um, I am more than happy for people um, to get in touch with me. Um, that's that's no problem, and I'll leave you, Louise, with my contact details that people can contact me. And I am more than happy to talk about it um, because, yes, there is. There are probably sort of nitty gritty. If someone's really thinking about it, there are nitty gritty things of where do I get this form? What do I do this? How do I buy a coffin? Um, but I'm more than happy to talk to people. Yes, thank you. Well, thank you again for sharing your story. That has been actually a story of such um, positivity and hope and enablement and empowerment and a fantastic legacy to um, to your mum. And um, we just hugely appreciate your time. So thank you so much, Julia. Thank everybody for listening. And as I do, do please get in touch if you'd like to know any more and we'd be happy to talk to you about it. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Wessex LNCs supporting you and your practice.